You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Wayne, I have to say, I'm sure occasionally you get a little bit tired of, of markets and would rather have your head stuck under the bonnet looking at a Jaguar's engine. I'm struggling to find any inner enthusiasm about markets at the moment. They're all range-bound. They're talking about geopolitics one day, inflation the next, interest rates the next, and it just goes round and round in circles. I don't mind markets going sideways. It's better than going down. But on the other hand, it's not very exciting. This is the sort of time where people like you really earn your money and pick stocks that do well during this sort of quiet period, this malaise, if you like. Yeah, well, look, the market's waiting for effectively a a decisive sign on U.S. interest rates, U.S. inflation. Now, the U.S. inflation number came out today, yes, which was maybe slightly, slightly negative, uh, but but not but not materially so at all. But certainly slightly negative. Uh, the, The the headline number. Um, on core inflation, missed the market expectations by 0.1%. So, you know, it's not material. But the point is, it's not a definitive sign that, you know, inflation is going to continue falling more than expectations, which I suppose is some sort of trigger that the market would be waiting for. It was 3.7%, the headline inflation number, wasn't it? CPI, 3.7%, and the market was expecting 3.6%. I don't know how people can get too pessimistic about that sort of number. It it was a miss by 0.1%, but it was entirely predictable because of the oil price now going from just above 70 in mid-June to just above 90 92, 93 yeah. uh, t- today. So, of course, with America being very, very reliant on oil and driving around all over the place in those giant wagons of theirs, of course it's going to have gone up some, a little bit. So yeah. I'm not too worried about it myself. You know, no, look, in America, on the oil story, it's very interesting. In the 1970s, before the 70s oil crisis, um, there was probably 10 times more oil used per unit of output than what's used now because i mean the arabs totally and utterly shot themselves in the foot with that one because america used to generate a lot of power using oil and that just died and it became incredibly more efficient because of the of the oil crisis so america and by the way america is no longer dependent on imported oil they've got enough enough domestic oil yes you know that's not a problem at all but yeah Look, and I suppose coming back to inflation, I suppose if you take uh, what the markets have done since that numbers come out is they've gone up very slightly. But certainly if the number had have come in, you know, 0.3 or 0.4% lower than expectations, then that would have been, you know, quite a nice marker that maybe inflation's falling quicker than what people anticipated. And the market would have rallied quite strongly on that number. Hmm. But yeah, the market, I mean, our market's done nothing for the year. It's been sitting between 74,000 and 80,000 up and down and up and down. At the moment, it's at the lower end of that trading range because we're waiting for exactly the same thing here. We are waiting for inflation to actually show 
definitive down. We trend in interest rates overseas so that we can get a recovery in the commodity cycle or the anticipation of a recovery in the commodity cycle. And then our market and the mining shares will rally because they're the ones that have been pounded. They really have you know, to. They're the ones that have come under intense pressure, which they always do in any down cycle. So what's happening to them is entirely normal. You know, it's not abnormal. It's very normal during a, a period of slowing global growth that the commodity shares would get pounded and you know, worries about China and everything like that. So you know, over the next three, four, five, six months, We'll know which way it's going. You know, either either inflation is stubborn and doesn't fall, or it actually falls and gets to you know close to the trading ranges that uh, central banks will find acceptable. Then they'll cut rates. Well, I hope so because I'm looking at today's market. I'm looking at the S and P, for example, after that um, U.S. inflation data. I look at the S and P 500 futures. They were up for most of the day, but now they're down by 0.16 percent. But I look at the yeah, JSE, Wayne, and we're being walloped here. 1.4 percent down yeah, for the all share. 1.43 yeah. percent down for the top 40. Financials down 2.6 percent. So this is independent weakness, to my mind. Yeah. Look, I'm, I, I, I must be honest. Because of the NASPAS process, unbundling, cross-holding, rights issue, I mean, process is down 50%. You know, so I, I hope that they've got the indices right for that fall in the share because, you know, whatever it's down by, it's got more shares in issue, so its market capitalization uh, shouldn't change much. Hmm. But yes, you know, there's a lot of shares down 3 4 5% today. And I couldn't quite see why, to be honest. That's because, what I'm looking for. You know, normally if there's normally if there's big overseas selling, the rand would weaken. It's not; it's strengthening. So, and I mean, Old Mutual came out with a trading update that, you know, maybe wasn't too great, and that's down five percent. But why all the other, let's call them South African shares, are down also two, three, four, five percent? I don't know. I don't see any particular reason. You know, the latest bit of bad news in South Africa doing the rounds. And of course, unfortunately, there's more bad news doing the rounds in South Africa than good news is that the government's bankrupt. You know, that's the latest story. Of course, they're not bankrupt. Um, but they've got to have to tighten their belt to stick to their sort of long-term debt deficit targets. And it's not because government expenditure has, you know, risen out of control. Is that tax receipts are so much lower because the mining companies are in a slump. I mean, you just take the platinum the platinum companies; they've their earnings have fallen between fifty and sixty, seventy percent, and their tax will fall by the same amount, more or less. So they're falling way short of 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 revenue estimates. So, you know, all the stories going around now, there's an emergency meeting with Cabinet and with Kosatu and with, you know, business and trying to get some sort of consensus. And so, you know, maybe that's contributed to a little bit of the bad negative in, in, in the stock market today. But this news started last week, you know, it didn't just spring up today. I couldn't find any specific reason why the, why the shares got clobbered today. I, I, I couldn't find it. No, as you say, Old Mutual with a voluntary trading update uh, down 5%. Momentum Metropolitan with numbers down 1.6% currently. And Growth Point, another a great company. I mean, yeah, a, but, a really good... Yeah, uh, but Growth Point and Momentum are, are quite small, but there are quite a few other shares. When you look at uh, 
you know, the biggest fallers of the day, there are quite a few shares, they're down two, three, four percent. Hmm. I mean, one percent movement on a day like this isn't much. Growth points results, you know, they they grew, they grew distributions. That was quite good. The momentum results, we were flagged about that a while back when they gave their trading update. So that also wasn't news. No, but the domestic stocks just not doing so well. And I know the, I said to somebody, I want you to make me a 10 share portfolio so I can track it and have a look at it. And maybe I'll go for it at some stage. And each of the stocks that he chose were offshore stocks, European and American stocks. And I said, now I want you to take one out and I'll put my own in. And it was, I couldn't decide whether it would be Anglo-American Platinum or Impala Platinum. So I went for Anglo-American Platinum in the end because just because, I don't know, the name gives me, uh, gives me comfort, gives me solace. Yeah. And the difference, the difference between the two is that uh, Anglo-American's got far better quality assets. Yes. So, um, but Impala is a lot more geared because the assets aren't so good. So if there is a commodity cycle coming in platinum and palladium in the PGMs, Impala will way outperform Anglo, Anglo platinum. I Anglo platinum will still do well, but Impala will way outperform it. But on the downside, you've got more protection from, from Amplats. Okay, so that sort of did. But it was interesting that they didn't go for any domestic stocks themselves, and I had to put one in for myself, and I'm going to track them over the next three months just to see. It's just an exercise because mm. uh, I'm not ready yeah. to put any money in now. As yeah, look, I, look. Mm, go on. I don't think overseas stocks are overvalued, and now is the time for a bit of a bull market in shares if we write on interest rates falling over the next two to three years. But the exact same side of the coin, if that happens, the rand will strengthen quite materially. So, you know, that's the only reason why I'm a bit cautious on going into overseas shares now is because of the rand. I mean, the rand's trading, call it 19. You know, this can go to 1650. And it sounds outrageous, but it's done it every other time. Every other time we've had a commodity cycle, upcycle, the rand has strengthened 30, 40% from a very, very oversold level, which is exactly where it is now. So if, if the rand, if we get a commodity upcycle, the rand will strengthen quite materially because that's what it's done every time. That's part of the cycle. You know, same as it collapsed materially in a commodity down cycle, it will strengthen quite significantly in a commodity upcycle. So the real question on the rand is, Will we get a commodity upcycle or, or has the cycle died or has it been delayed? So that, that's the really the only outstanding question. And then, you know, when you, when you go into a commodity upcycle, that's the time to buy South African shares because we are a commodity exporting country, number one. And secondly, a lot of our shares are quite cheap here for very good reasons because we're in a de- economic down cycle here with the collapsing rand and high inflation and high interest rates. But shares are only cheap when there's bad news around. They're never cheap when there's good news around. So I I certainly, at this stage, would lean more to South African shares in any portfolio. But if I'm right, and of course it's a big if, no one knows the future, and the RAND does strengthen materially, then you would sell those South African shares and go overseas with the overwhelming majority of your money, hopefully at a better rand exchange rate. What I'm really hoping is that this month, the month of September, there's two significant listings planned for the NASDAQ. One is ARM, the Cambridge-based chip maker. Yes. 
Uh, it was going to try and raise eight, nine billion dollars and is now looking to raise just under five billion. And I think it will do so quite easily. I think it will be oversubscribed yeah. because this is a top quality company. And the other one is something that you probably have never contributed to their sales statistics, Wayne. Birkenstock, a German footwear company that has is famous yeah. for very, very good shoes with cork soles. Yeah, they, it's supposed to be very good for your posture and very healthy and everything. And they've suddenly become very fashionable within the Hollywood community. But I don't suppose you've got any Birkenstocks in your shoe cupboard. No, my the shoes I wear don't have a label. Pick and pay, right? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you what make of shoes they are. So, no, that's but look, the problem there's a problem with fashion, is that fashion changes. You know, all of a sudden, huggy shoes are very popular. Then it's this one, then it's that one, and you know that's fashion. So you also you also macro. That's why the yeah macro and big macro and big and pay clothing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, well, I don't think big and pay clothing sold shoes, but macro. Oh, that's where I buy my shoes. Um, <laughs> you know, and then it's sketches, and then it's. Uh, what those crocs and you know so fa- foot, footwear fashion seems to change a lot more than let's say apparel fashion you know apparel fashion the more or less the same people have been leaders for a very very long time but footwear and and jewelry it's more or less the same but apparel you know things come into fashion and then they just shoot like crazy so you know certainly if your particular f- brand of shoes if everyone wants one, now is the time to list because not everyone might want one in two years' time. Yeah, but Birkenstock's been going for ages and I think it's going to be a successful list. Let's not talk about that. I mean, talking about clothing as you were, I can remember when skinny jeans came out, Wayne, and I thought, if you're a supermodel and you're skinny yourself, maybe you can get away with skinny jeans. But I saw people walking down the street who had absolutely no right to go out the front door wearing skinny jeans. And I imagine you never wore skinny jeans, Wayne, given your the, the definition age. definition of skinny jeans. Now, look, I've only got a fat stomach. My legs and my bum actually aren't all that fat okay. at all. It's only my stomach that's fat. But uh, um, no, it's your definition of skinny jeans. I mean, I can remember when I was at school in the 60s, well, let's call it the early 70s. Drain when pipes. I was in my teenage years. You had, you had bell bottoms. Oh, I love then them. Then stovies came out. Oh, yeah. Then stovepipes came out. Now, a stovepipe, that's not a skinny jean, is it? I don't know. I remember drain pipes. I don't remember the name stovepipe, but I mean, obviously not well, the same. Stovepipe, drain pipes, it's the same thing. You know, you, yeah. you, you, I grew up in Kimberley, they were stovepipes, so stovies. So, <laughs> um, but that's not a skinny jean now. I think that's just a jean minus a bell bottom. Okay. But it's interesting. Some fashion houses. Yes. Um, now, my daughter in law worked for a very, very famous fashion house at one stage of, of, of her career pre children. And uh, they didn't produce jeans above a certain size. That's it. So if you had a fat ass and you wanted to be seen in these jeans, you couldn't get them because the brand themselves didn't want people to see their jeans on fat asses. 
Okay. Quite interesting. That's fair enough, yeah. But the reason I mentioned skinny jeans was I thought this is just going to be a fad for a year or so. But they're still going on now. People still insist on wearing them, and I can't bear it. I have to look away or cross the road when I see people in skinny jeans that shouldn't be wearing skinny jeans. Supermodels, yes. People in the street, in Middelburg, in Zeeland, in the south of the Netherlands, shouldn't be wearing them. And I object to it. Wayne, apart from that, what have you been looking at? What have, you, have you been reading anything? Have you been looking at anything? Or have you just been no. keeping your head down and waiting for the market no. to turn? Waiting for this commodity cycle and for a resumption of global or the anticipation of a resumption of global growth on the back of lower interest rates and inflation. Okay. That's the same story has been going on for a while now. So our portfolios, we've got, you know, obviously got a very big proportion of our money offshore. Yes. Although we're not taking any more off now. And in fact, we brought a little bit back. Um, of course, we run diversified portfolios. So, and then we've got a nice representation in SA banks and SA, SA shares. Mm-hmm. And because they do represent very good value. And we've started now over the last month or two or three buying some mining shares, some resource shares ah. on the back of what we've been talking about. Yes, good. Not just PGMs, but uh, diversified miners. They're right across the board, yeah. Good. Okay, excellent. And I think during these times, it's the patience that only comes with experience and age that really helps you. Yeah, young people sitting there, you know, getting in themselves a double espresso or a cappuccino or a latte or whatever these coffee drinkers yeah. drink, and they just want to do something, they want to press some buttons, they want to add to their portfolio, they want to day trade. Well, yeah. that's, that's one of the biggest threats. That's one of the biggest threats in investments is you feel you must do something. Yes. One of the biggest threats. Every now and again, you've got to do something, but most of the time you actually shouldn't do anything, quite honestly. And just to come back to, you know, young people in the market versus old people in the market like me, Mm. it's not understanding patience or fortitude or anything like that. It's actually just grasping. Essentially, I've only learned one thing in investments. Go on. And my whole knowledge base is based around this one thing, is that 95% of what you see up and down in price movements is cyclical. And you've just got to work out where in the cycle you are. Because when the cycle becomes massively overstretched, either on the upside or the downside, the danger is thinking that this is a structural change. I mean, I can remember so well the end of the 1990s. We were 10 years in a commodity bear market. The rand was slaughtered beyond comprehension. Our stock market was, in dollar terms, was a pathetic performer. Everything was just USA and financial services, you know. And then in starting in 2001, 2002, the China years, you know, our market between 2000, well, well, call call it 10 years, our market outperformed the U.S. market by 350% in dollar terms. Because we had a commodity upcycle, and the U.S. had the dot-com bust, the dot-com bubble. So, you know, people were so structural. I mean, I remember reading articles, the end of commodities as we know it. You know, the world's moving its way off commodities and never going to be used again. Then uh-huh. China came along, uh-huh. you know, and... You must only go for tech and, and financial services and dot-com shares because they are the future. So lots of 
at, at the extremities of every cycle, you start, to, you start to hear the structural change. In other words, structural change stories. In other words, this time around, it's different. And that is, that is the most dangerous saying in investment. I've known so many people who have been caught out by that story. This time, it's different. This time, it's different. Exactly. And it never is. It's never different. It's always the same. doesn't matter. 5% of the time, 5% of the time is different. Um, But then that 5%, these structural changes are actually very, very long term. And they're quite evolution, not revolution. So the one biggest structural change in the world markets was Paul Faulkner defeating inflation in the early 80s in America. You know, the, the, the march down from the long bond yield down to the level where it was a year and a half ago before this current inflation gave you half of your share return. So there's a major structural change. Uh, China emerging onto the world stage as a commodity buyer and a big economy, that's a structural change. You know, the fall of communism in Russia wasn't even a structural change. It you know, didn't make much difference to, to anything, quite frankly. And then, obviously, the rise of tech and, uh, you know, fifth industrial revolution and all the buzzwords, that's obviously a structural change, you know, that you've got the, the, the social media. But, you know, social media started 20 years ago. It's not new. You know, so as I said, these changes are more evolution than revolution. I mean, right now, old David Shapiro is jumping onto every AI stock that he can get his hands on. And in the shorter term, he could very well be right because they're going up and you're making fantastic returns. But, you know, the same thing happened to the tech shares and everything, you know, until a year ago. Then they collapsed 40, 50, 60 percent. They're recovering now, but they're recovering now because they are established companies making profits. You know, there's very little hype left there. You know, they've cut costs. They, they're making money. They're making cash. So... You know, the the AI could be structural. I mean, I don't know. AI is a very fancy word for machine learning. You know, no machine can have intelligence. It can't predict the future. Um, you know, it, it works on a set of parameters given a set of rules and it makes its deductions and conclusions from that. But, of course, what it can do is it can analyze absolutely mountains of information which which humans can't do but uh, you know so the whole in- artificial intelligence is just a a new branch of of tech that's almost been given you know a new name and all of these uh, 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 AI things that can write poems and write you songs and do your homework for you you know it's based on 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 historic information you know there's no yeah which, which the they gather not, very very quickly something new no exactly right yeah, i mean david shapiro is, is entranced by this whole thing he loves yeah, it but you know you know i've known i've known shapiro for donkey's years now yeah. donkey's donkey's years okay and david's got one philosophy in investments what's that and that's bottom left bottom left top right in other words when you look at a graph if that graph share price is bottom left and goes to the top right, David Shapiro's there. So in other words, he's a growth investor. He's a survivor he as well. Buys shares, he, and, and he buys shares that are going up. So that's a typical growth investor. 
and there's nothing wrong with the growth investing. Then you get value investing, like a Pitfull Yun or there's many uh, many value investors. So they're they top like right, bottom, buying, bottom left. They, they look at they, the, they look at they look at they look at top left, bottom right. Oh, top left, bottom. Okay, they look at share prices yeah, going but, down. Oh, sorry, yes. And where they represent absolute value now. No one's a winner over time. If you analyze these different trends over long periods of time, there's no definitive winner. But there is one clear differential between the two investment styles. Shapiro has eight happy years and one absolutely catastrophic year. And then a value investor has eight incredibly unhappy years and then one absolute corker that shoots the lights out like you cannot imagine. So I suppose the key to this style investing is over time you should be a growth investor, but you must know when to sell and then buy the value shares, not five years before they bottom out, you know, somewhere near the bottom. So you should actually be agnostic between investment styles because there is no winner. Mm. You should try and, Swap into you should spend most of your time in growth shares. Full stop. Exactly, you've got eight good years, one bad year, rather than eight bad years and one really good year. I mean, if you haven't killed yourself during the eight bad years as a deep value investor, then investors are resilient creatures because the ones that have survived clearly haven't killed themselves yet, Hmm. and they are resilient creatures. You know, they they tough. You know, a, 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 a survivor in the deep value space is a tough person, is a tough personality. They've got they've got fortitude. They they not scared of anything. Well good luck to them I say. Wayne so I need you, to if tell you wanted if you wanted to if yeah. you wanted to go like if you all of a sudden were lost in the desert somewhere and you had to survive. Yeah. Rather go with a value investor person. They're far more used to tough times than a growth investor. If you want to go to a party, go with growth investors. Don't go with value investing. <laughs> yeah, the value investor will be standing in the corner with no one talking yeah. to them, looking rather grey and no sad. No one want to talk to them. Yeah. Exactly. Wayne, I have to tell you a story now. It was around about 11.30. I told you earlier on in this conversation that I was getting a little bit... I was feeling a little bit uninspired. I think that's the most polite way I can put it. So I thought, right, I'm off. It's 11.30. The tourists have gone, the Belgians, the Germans in particular, and the French. They've all gone home. The school holidays are back. Uh, The 32, 33-degree heat, which we had for seven days in a row, has now gone as well. So I'm going to go to a little beach restaurant. It's called Sea Farm. Mm -hmm. They catch a young turbot from the North Sea, and then they put them into their own facility, a huge facility, and they nurture them and grow them to full size and export them and and serve them in their restaurant, etc. But they've also got oysters and mussels farms outside. You can see them, and they go on for a long way. So I thought, I want some oysters, and I went there. And they've got six different types of oysters, Wayne. Two native Dutch oysters, one French, one Portuguese, one Irish, very delicious, small but delicious, and one from Nova Scotia. They didn't have that. So they only had five different types of oysters. So the very pretty and helpful young lady came to me and said, what would you like, sir? I said, I would like sparkling water, please, and two of each of the oysters you have available. So I had a little platter of oysters for lunch. And the person that I was with had a, a one, one of those, a bucket of mussels, and yeah, as you would call them, chippies. 
and some really thick cut, thick cut chippies with four different types of dipping mayonnaise. And I Ooh, tucked into those delicious. oysters and I occasionally nick one of the mussels. Oh, goodness me, Wayne. It's now, just simple food. The difference between the oysters? Hmm? What's that? Could you taste the difference between could you taste the difference between the various oysters? I could, yeah. I really I really could. It, some were some were sweeter, some were saltier, and yeah, there was a different difference. I wouldn't be able to have a blind tasting and say which is the Portuguese, yeah, which yeah, is the yeah. French. I couldn't do that, but there was a different difference. But they were absolutely scrumptious. And yeah, I, I must say I haven't had I haven't had oysters for a I wouldn't say they're my favourite, but I certainly have had, had them before. My best oyster experience mm. was I was this first national bank, and they sent us through to to Namibia to do some presentations, and we were in uh, uh, Swakopmund, and our our our, our host there, F and B guy, organised us for go, to go out from Walfus Bay yes. in a oyster boat. Not nothing tourism, nothing tourist about this. We went out in the oyster boat. The oyster boat farmer, the, the the owner of the boat, the farmer, went to his own oyster beds and he pulled out the little cages that they grow in and he took out some oysters and he schlooked them there, whatever you do to oysters. And we ate them on this boat in the middle of Walfus Bay. And Walfus Bay, there's not even a ripple on that ocean. There's no waves. It's completely protected bay. Early in the morning, maybe quarter past seven or so, and that truly was delicious. I love them. First time I've had them for a while, and, and I'm addicted now. And as it's only a 15-minute journey from where I live to this place, it's going to be a weekly event for me now. Sounds fantastic. It really was fantastic. Wayne, thank you so much for your time this evening. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. And that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.